0: The Song Confessional Podcast is a co-production of KUT, KUTX Studios, and Good Taste Society. Interview. Interview.
1: Interview.
0: Who am I speaking with right now?
1: This is Boyfriend.
0: And Boyfriend, where did you get that name?
1: I gave it to myself.
0: And, and what inspired <laughs> you to uh, call yourself Boyfriend?
1: Well, I found that there was a certain weight uh, attached to Boyfriend that is not attached to girlfriend. Like people will say, I'm going to the movies with my girlfriends, but no one refers to a group of their male friends as their boyfriends. Boyfriend has this like charge to it. And I found myself overhearing it all the time in conversation, it was like this ping pong ball, like darting around my brain, like my boyfriend said this, or, oh my God, I wish I had a boyfriend. Or can you believe his boyfriend did it? You know, it just has sort yeah, of yeah. almost like a catty sassy um, ring to it. And I thought, that's fun. I'll be your boyfriend. I'm your boyfriend now.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Well, why Why do you think that is? Why do you think that people go to the movies with their girlfriends and not their boyfriends?
1: <sighs> that is a great question. I mean, I'm going to just go with my default answer to all questions, which is the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I think that's fair. That's a, that's
1: a fair yeah, rationale. And there's something so juvenile about it that... I also find really fun, um, in in a way, almost more juvenile than girlfriend for some reason. And maybe it's just because like I was once a middle school girl, and so I have this catalog of knowledge of of the word boyfriend being used as a weapon, mm-hmm. um, and girlfriend not.
0: Man, there's I, I I keep thinking about this as you're talking about this. My mom uh, just got remarried, but for a brief period there. She had a boyfriend. Mm. And hearing my uh, mom in her late sixties refer to someone else's her boyfriend just brought me so oh, much joy. I mean,
1: I just giggled yeah. just from imagining it. Yeah, I was like. <laughs> uh,
0: so this is the. I just realized this is the first in-person interview that I've done in two two years. Gasp! More than two years.
1: Momentous.
0: It is. It's such a different energy transfer when you're like talking and looking at someone than staring at a computer screen.
1: Isn't it nice? On
0: Zoom. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, we're
1: actually holding hands right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what what was this confession about to you?
1: Okay. To me, it was like listening to a letter that my future self wrote. And then put in a time capsule and sent backwards in time. And then I listened to it because I I related to this woman so much, not only her charming Southern accent, but, um, she sort of was like the personified, um, idealized future me that I always had in my head. Like I wanted to be this like 60 something year old woman with a little black book of lovers you know all around yeah. the globe like an atlas of lovers and just be so you know cavalier about it and and not to say like necessarily a heartbreaker but just to have those types of adventures yeah um and so that i think that's why it spoke to me so much is cuz it was like oh this is me as an old this is the old lady that i want to be
0: <laughs> she is instantly charming in that confession like yes she t- is t- t- 10 seconds in you're in- it she's instantly charming uh, I think it's, there's a lot of parts of that confession that I really latched on to, but I do love that she, she just casually has two boyfriends. Yes. Not at the same time.
1: Yes. There's something, uh, sex positive about it because, mm-hmm. um, okay, I'm, this is like probably too deep to be compelling. Like it's like too deep. <laughs> no, let's go. Let's try But I feel like when, um, oppressed groups of people are in the process of becoming unoppressed, there's like this window of playful vengeance that isn't necessarily actually cruel, Mm -hmm. but is sort of a, here's a taste of your own medicine thing. And so like with her sort of objectifying and playing these two men, um, it feels like this feminist power thing, even though what feminism is really about is us all being equal. And if, if one is having power over the other, then we're not equal. So it's sort of like, let me don the clothing of the oppressor, oppress you so you can see what it feels like Mm -hmm. just for like this fun little year of my life. And then I have a good story afterwards. And it, if there's something about it that feels like a necessary rite of passage, (laughs) I guess, um, so I would say that part of it's sex positive. And then there's the other part of it, which is the idea that like having two boyfriends is just like not even an option, I guess. Like the idea mm-hmm. of polyamory like didn't really seem to be um, an undercurrent or a context in the story. It was like mm-hmm. very clear that they were both secret from each other. Yeah. And then like once one found out about the other one, presumably the relationship ended, though she never really told us. So she, I might be jumping to conclusions.
0: Yeah, she does never tell us, but I love your... It really reinforces, I think, what you're saying. The fact that they're both in the same fucking costume. Like they're very (laughs) interchangeable
1: in that way. She's like,
0: yeah, I'm just secretly, I'm dating two men. They don't know about each other.
1: And there's the idea of like, oh, she has a type, but then more compelling and underneath that to me is the idea that like men are a type and that men have this Superman superhero complex and this like phallic obsession Mm -hmm. and... That's that. It's like the symbolism's that obvious.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and there is something like lovely too, knowing that she told us this story completely over. Like she obviously, I, to me, any story that people tell in the song confessional, when it's a fun story, you know, they've told it before. Right. Yeah. And I just love that this is one of her stories that she trots out.
1: I love at that At parties too. and stuff.
0: It's, she knows, I don't know. It's very, it's very charming.
1: That's a good way to think about it. I imagine some of the confessions feel like a first time reveal, definitely. but this yeah. definitely felt like a, this is one of my party tricks. Let me pull it out. Yeah. I loved um, it. And I I think that's also why I was drawn to it. Cause I want to have bits, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to tell the bit about this. Yeah. The idea of like collecting this tapestry of adventure that I can mm-hmm. relay to people from my uh, wise white hair years. Mm -hmm. I keep, I feel bad. I keep referring to her as an old lady, but it's just the story was set in the eighties and she's like very clearly unadult in the eighties. So
0: (laughs) one thing I, and I, I actually researched this. So the one guy had a pantyhose dick. They both did. Oh, they both did. Yeah. Okay. Incredible. Both (laughs) of these men dressed as Superman, both with pantyhose dicks. That is a lyric in your song. I was unable to find another song with the lyric, pantyhose dick.
1: We are making history. Uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I Hosiery history.
0: I'm like kind of obsessed with that. It's the first time that pantyhose dick has been in a song.
1: Well, so since you researched it, was that a thing in the 80s that we missed out on? Uh, being let me tell but you. Twinkles, but stardust and twinkles in the eyes of our parents at that point? like. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I Googled that phrase a lot at a lot of different search engines in a lot of different ways. And it more or less only takes you directly to Pornhub now. So uh-huh. it's hard to huh. say if that was the thing in the 80s.
1: Maybe it's just an easy they're like, okay, I want a comically large phallus for this costume party. Mm-hmm. This is vaguely flesh toned and oblong, <laughs> and you can stuff stuff in it. Like maybe they're just both resourceful cause, and in light. So it was easy to attach to you because you can't yeah. really do a banana or a cucumber. Like that's going to be awkward and true. smushy.
0: Yeah, that's true. It won't ever smell bad. Right. It won't smudge on things.
1: New pantyhose. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I guess another thing I was wondering, too, is what if what if they were both her pantyhose?
1: Ah. Hmm.
0: That makes the betrayal so much deeper.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm. <laughs> right. And presumably the party's at her house.
0: Yeah, I think it was at her house.
1: Because she says she, well, it could be at the, the lover's house.
0: Hmm. For some reason, I thought it was her house. I thought she said her bed.
1: She definitely said it went to bed, but maybe it is her bed. Hmm. I liked picturing it at her house. That's her domain.
0: Okay, so so this is the the first song with pantyhose dick in it. You have you've never used that in another song that's like not released yet, no. right?
1: No. Nope. I, I never even used pantyhose dick um, colloquially, <laughs> uh, much less <laughs> artistically.
0: <laughs> do you how many songs do you think you've you've written in total?
1: I mean, definitely over a hundred, maybe, maybe over 200. Maybe and I, when I first um, started writing songs, I was maybe like 12 or 13. There was like a quick little moment and then I abandoned it completely <laughs> forever. haha, And then yeah. came back around. But in that time of my adolescence, and I remember talking to my dad, who's a songwriter about it. And I was like, how, how many songs have you written? Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, Thousands. And I just thought, what, that's, that doesn't, he's exaggerating. That's not possible. Um, But yeah, I mean, if I keep up this pace, then by the time I'm his age, I'll have written thousands of songs too, thousands, plural.
0: As a songwriter, is it important to you now, or has it ever been important to you to be doing something like new, like coming up with the phrase pantyhose dick in multiple songs? Am I? Am my question like make any sense? Like- it makes
1: so much sense. The reason I like looked wistfully up at the ceiling when mm. you asked me that <laughs> was because I just had a, a long conversation with someone about this very concept of originality mm-hmm. and like how in this post 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 modern society that we're living in there isn't really anything new to be said. And so on the one hand, we should give up this need to try to be like. No one's doing this. No one's done this. Yeah. Um, and then on the other hand, it's never had more power over us, I don't think. Like, I hear so many people say, but no one's doing this. No one's done this. Like, in the creative process, yeah. as if that is an important touchstone. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, I'm excited. I didn't know this. Now that you've told me that, I feel like I have a little brownie badge on my sash. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, totally. I'm not ab- above wanting to be unique and original. hmm
0: it, it is kind of an interesting phenomenon. Like there are uh, artists that I know who are really good at following trends, I think which is partially what you're saying, like they're doing something new or doing something that's like not in vogue at the moment. And they're good at like keeping a finger on that pulse. Um, but it's, so, it's totally the exception to the rule. I don't feel like anyone really is able to do that super successfully that I know. To be doing something new or like a, getting ahead of trends kind of stuff.
1: It's a conundrum because the idea that something is good because it hasn't been done before Mm -hmm. to me does not have legs. That idea washes away in the sand. To me, something is good and maybe it has never been done before. And like, I need them to be two separate silos. Mm -hmm. But I think that a lot of times the goal is let's do something that's never been done before regardless of if it's good or not, mm-hmm. but like, I, I don't, I just want to make some good art. And if somebody like I get set, people say that I'm ripping off Madonna or I'm ripping off Lady Gaga or, or whatever. And I'm kind of mm-hmm. like, all right, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Who isn't also me and Madonna were born on the same day. So I feel like I sort of have cosmic rights to, I think that's fair. Mimic her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why. And I mean, just cause I perform in a wedding dress on stage, I guess is why they say that. But
0: that's interesting. You have the same boy. birthday as Madonna.
1: Oh, we could have a whole podcast about my birthday because so many interesting people were born on or died on that day uh-huh. that it is the August 16th soul portal.
0: Whoa.
1: I invented this. I was going to say, <laughs> did you give it that name? Cause
0: that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I
1: didn't invent it. I guess the calendar invented it, but, um, okay. Really, really quick. Here's a list of people who were born on or died on August 16th. Okay. Are you ready? Waiting. Madonna, Elvis, Wow, Aretha Franklin, Belle Lugosi, Vanessa Carlton, Steve Carell, the original whale that played um, Shamu <laughs> uh, at, at SeaWorld, <laughs> <laughs> Margaret Mitchell, uh, Young Thug, uh, James Cameron, uh, the actress who plays uh, Luna Lovegood in Harry Potter. Um, I know I'm missing some more. Oh, Babe Ruth. Wow. Yeah, it's it's pretty stacked day. And there's more. Those are just the ones I was able to like. Yeah. So, well, that is its as own a Leo, yeah. getting to be fascinated with my own birthday, obviously, like, is the best deal. <laughs> Tickles yeah. my fancy. That's the word.
0: Uh, I just feel like I have to set that aside because there's so much to ask about that. Mm. Mm.
1: Uh,
0: wait, is there something else you want to add?
1: Peter Fonda. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we can set that aside. It has Uh, truly nothing to do with any of what we're here to talk about. Well, but that
0: is really fascinating because I'm, so I'm a Gemini, then I'm born on June 12th and I only have Dennis Eckersley and Ryan Klesko, who are two baseball players from the eighties that are fine, but, (laughs) but there's a lot of amazing Geminis like Cam Franklin, who, who, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, she's the same birthday as Kanye and Prince.
1: Oh, sh- why?
0: Isn't that crazy? And it's just a few days away from mine, and I was like, "Oh, you probably." This get the-
1: changes the pressure of the birthday cards I've been. I had no idea. I need to like. I know. Up the Annie on these birthday cards. It's pretty
0: huge, uh, but hey, there's a whole other thing. I have a, I have two questions, so I want to get back to this song or anything before I get too far away from it. So, so you write a lot of songs with other people, correct? For their projects, indeed. And you write for yourself, yes. And you had told me before that you write with other people for your own music as well a lot. Yeah, Sometimes less, less than you do. But I'm curious, what's, what's the difference? Like when you're working on someone else's music versus you're working on your own?
1: Other people's music is like, I'm back in college or high school, like trying Mm -hmm. to be the straight A student, like teacher, teacher, pick me, give me the assignment. Like what's the homework? Mm -hmm. Um, I really do love school and... Was good at school, and I think that's that slight bit of structure really helped me. Because, like, as a independent musician, I have no structure to my day or my life. I, it's mm-hmm. completely up to me. Yeah. Like, I answer to no one, I, I, <laughs> which is except for you know, mighty fate, um, which is really great, but then also sometimes terrifying. And so, mm-hmm. to be like, put me inside of this box of this structure of person X needs song Y about. Z subject to, mm, I've run out of letters. <laughs> sure, but, but <laughs> I get X, it. Y, Z tempo. You, it's
0: just super applied. You like, can you, yeah, the it's parameters like the craft, that help
1: you? The craft gets to really play mm-hmm. versus the like muse spirit mm-hmm. part, which that is more coming out to play with boyfriend. And I always like, as soon as the muse is like tapping on my shoulder, I'm like, quick, craft, come wake up, come hang out.
0: Yeah, Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I am a very head based writer. And mm-hmm. I work with a lot of people that they, they seem to close their eyes and open up their mouth and it's their heart that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Whereas like me, like I have my eyes open and kind of squinting and like, I'm thinking my way through the song, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. I think we need both types of writers in the world.
0: Yeah. Well, it's probably also why you, why you thrive as an artist in the, the parameters of boyfriend, because it is heady in a way and it gives it a structure. Whereas because you have kind of an intellectual approach to it, it could just go, you know, be like a live wire just going everywhere, so. Uh,
1: I never thought about Boyfriend as heady, so cool. Thank you for a new perspective Oh, on it's that. great. Yeah, it makes sense.
0: One thing that has been really, uh, that I really love was when I tell people which song confessional artists, you know, friends or who I've been working with, and when I told people that we were doing a song with you, Uh, one, everyone knew who you were and two, they all had a different experience seeing you perform in a completely different context. So some were at the, the, the South by show here, uh, at cheer up Charlie's.
1: Uh, Uh, they enjoyed it.
0: Uh, and others in New Orleans. It, it was really interesting. I thought that was really cool and they all had this really powerful memory of seeing you play perform. Which I'm glad I love to hear. It. Yeah. That's I, not it's not always the case.
1: I feel like the story is most coherent from the stage for you to for someone to witness, boyfriend. Then yeah, and and for me being boyfriend on the stage is where I'm like, everything's working. This is all clicking. Mm -hmm. And I always feel like a little bit's missing if you're just engaging with it via Spotify or Instagram or Mm -hmm. one of those places. It's like, I think because at the end of the day, I'm a drama theater show choir kid. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I am saying what I want to say visually, physically, sonically, like I'm checking all the boxes.
0: It's total art.
1: Oh yeah. There's a German word for that. Total art. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to say it in German though.
0: Yeah. That guy was a Nazi, so we probably shouldn't even (laughs) even bring that back. But, but I get what you're saying. So basically it's, it has to be all those, uh, visual auditory, all these things at once to sort of get the full experience of boyfriend. Yeah.
1: I reckon. That's sick. Hopefully someday that won't be the case. And, uh, I don't know, because like I've, I, feel like there's this element of confidence in saying that, but also there's a little bit of like a anxiety that's coming up that I'm feeling, and like I, my body feels a little warm and red. Like, uh oh, does this mean that you have to like perform for someone to get you? You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. This all feels like a boring tangent, to be honest. I. Uh, yeah,
0: no, no, I, I, <laughs> I, I like it though. I, I think the point is made though, which is basically that, and we'll edit it down a little bit, but is that you have to see a show, you know, which I think is cool.
1: Okay cuz cool.
0: cuz the uh, for me at least like performing has been so uh, the business of live music has kind of ruined performing for me. Mm. I'm still like I'm still taking a break from it. And so I like I think it's cool that, that you're like no you got to see a show. That's the thing.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Well, for me it's such a um I'm glad you can edit out the silence. So,
0: of course, yeah, we'll edit all the stuff out.
1: I, while I can admit that I am a songwriter and I write songs and I sing them, and therefore, mm-hmm. by the law of like transitive properties, I'm a musician, mm-hmm. I'm also not a musician in as much that I can't just pick up a guitar and join in in the key of G or whatever it is, or jump on the piano or jump on the drums and like do what it is that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is such an aspect of musicianship. And perhaps just because it's what I've always witnessed, because my family's full of like instrument forward musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm surrounded by a lot of people like that. And it's a completely different energetic approach to a show because they're still just being themselves, but but playing their instrument or, or doing their thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas like my show is like, I know what every millisecond is going to be like before I get up there because Mm -hmm. of my, I change costumes between every number. There's choreography, there's props. And so it's more, it's theater. It is not a concert really. And so the backstage situation, I often feel like this, uh, freak because everyone else is like hanging out, having a drink, talking, shooting the shit. And I'm in the corner, like me, 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 like just like so serious, so nervous, like completely sober always, um, for shows. That's like a really strict rule for me. And that's like, not even me being like a teetotaler. Wait, is teetotaler people who do drink or don't? Don't. Okay, perfect. I've used the word the right way. It's not me being like a teetotaling (laughs) judgmental prude. It's more of like, I, that's not an option for me because everything is so regimented within the show and then I had this opportunity to perform with a bunch of Broadway actors for Rodgers and Hammerstein's um, like, like celebration of the body of intellectual work of Rodgers and Hammerstein, and I have a song that interpolates. Um, I'm gonna wash that man right off my hair. Mm-hmm. And so I was in New York City, about to sing with these like Tony Award-winning Broadway people, backstage, and it is a completely different vibe. No one is drinking, no one is talking to each other, no one's got their phone out, mm. everyone's like doing some sort of a physical warm-up, physically in the zone, doing a vocal warm or something, and I was like, oh, like this is the backstage that I that I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just yeah. in my one little like uh, corner doing that. And so that's interesting. And I, f- I feel like I'm running the risk of sounding like one is better than the other. It's definitely not the case. Um, it's more of like, I'm come. I think I'm very much coming from this theater world and I'm making it work, like sort of wedging it into a music world, mm-hmm. um, which is what I want to see, basically. Like I, when I see a concert, I want to see a theatrical show. And so that's why I created it.
0: I think that might be what... Is so memorable about your shows and why so many people mentioned that when I said we were doing a song with you, because you are you are recontextualizing that in these club environments where people are not used to seeing that, and I think that's maybe what's cool about it.
1: I hope so. I think so. I'm sweating. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Like you think I'm like I can talk about myself. Yeah, let's go. And then it's like, uh oh, no, yeah, I'm scared. Do Does God love me? Wait, what? <laughs>
0: uh, well, okay. So I have one more question, and literally this is, this has been great. Uh, you mentioned your family a couple of times. You mentioned that your dad was a songwriter. Is that how you got into doing this? No, no.
1: Totally separate. Um, I think that it's probably how I got into doing this on like a destiny. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it was literally in my DNA level, mm-hmm. but, um, I was never pushed or influenced, uh, In the direction of music at all. In fact, if anything, opposite. Because my dad would say, you know, lightning doesn't strike in the same place twice. Like, the fact that I'm a very successful songwriter is like, like, that is not an easy thing to do. Like, don't try and do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, don't do it. Um, But it just sort of inevitably happened. Like, I was working in production and I would find myself writing these rap verses on my way to and from the fax machine. And then those verses would become a song. And then I would be like, well, it'd be fun to do a music video for this. I work in film. I know all these film people. Let's mm-hmm. do-. And so it was truly, truly organic. And once it became real enough that I was like, I'm going to put stuff on YouTube, I have a name. I set my dad down. And this is what he says I said. <laughs> he says I said, Dad, I just need you to know I'm the best rapper alive. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he, he told me this just like a year ago that that's what I said. It's been 10 years now of me being boyfriend. I'm like, what, who is that? I don't even know who that person is. I feel like I never even met that person who had that type of confidence, but whatever. Oh, the joys of being 20 or whatever. Um, but I do remember saying, you don't need to be involved at all. I don't want your help. I don't even want you, you know, like you need to have to listen to it. I just thought you would want to know. Yeah. And turns out like he loved it. It, it was hilarious in it's early stages. It was like way more satirical, sort of like lonely Island vibes. And he would record me and, um, be super supportive. Now he sits in at all my sets and plays guitar and that's it's, awesome. it's wonderful and great.
0: Does, does your dad live in new Orleans?
1: No, he lives in the middle of nowhere in Beaver, Utah <laughs> in that, the mountains. Okay, that's the
0: middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, man. Okay. Is that T? No, that's Jim. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything...
1: Do we need to say anything else about the song?
0: So we, me and Jim talk about the making of the song. Mm. Usually we do. Cool. Um, actually, I have one more question yeah. about that. Um, so when we, when we sat down to work on the song, it was basically uh, me, you, and Jim. And you, you had kind of a, a loose idea of what you wanted to do. Um, and then we just kind of started rolling and it like really was like nine hours, nine, maybe. Yeah. Was that a typical co-writing experience for you or atypical? Uh,
1: This is, if anything, it was long.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah. I think that the LA, um, format is like just so ju- 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 just like mm-hmm. really quick um
0: where, where the difference is usually that the producers have some music kind of ready maybe
1: sometimes yeah. yeah um sometimes not i think part of the difference is that a lot of it's just in the box mm-hmm. and so there isn't an analog component to be manipulated and figured out and oh this cable isn't working and, and all that stuff just eats up time yeah very quickly um but I th- I think that I am a fast writer. Like that's what I've ge- I keep hearing that from people. Mm-hmm. Um and I know better than to think that that is necessarily like an accolade. Mm-hmm. It's just an adjective. Yeah, yeah. Cuz there's no, no th- be- nothing better between fast and slow. Mm-hmm. Um if anything it makes me compelled to like like some people are like write every day across all types of writers, screenwriters, mm-hmm. not novelists or whatever, you, you hear this message that you have to write every day. I'm like, so against that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I just, that's just not for me, maybe for other people it is, but I think because of the fastness, it's like, there's probably stuff just happening on a subconscious level in my day-to-day life. And then when it's when the assignment comes and the teacher calls on me, it's like, Yeah. but then I need the like six days of not writing after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more of like, I've always been, I'm a sprinter, not a marathon runner mm-hmm. in all aspects of life. Yeah. I need my 10 hours of sleep and Netflix afterwards.
0: That's interesting. Cause it's interesting to hear you say that. Cause definitely Jim and I, and I think for sure this studio where we made it do a lot of analog stuff, a lot of acoustic instruments. I felt like that song, uh, came together pretty quickly for on our terms, which I see, I understand it was long for you, but the other thing I, I thought was interesting about it was, uh, you were the entire time we were working, you were like
1: oh. producing
0: this music video. <laughs> That's
1: right. Yeah. It was like three days before shooting a music video in New York
0: and the music video, you were coordinating like a lot of people
1: mm-hmm. we had a cast of like 35
0: until so you'd be working and, and then, and then you come to and set your computer down and then like write another lyric or add a hook or something and then go back to it. <laughs> yes. It was, it was I kind of loved it. I feel like you were really like in your power cause you're like doing this video and then you're working on this song and like, we're very in, you were truly in both zones.
1: I truly was. And I'm glad that it wasn't, um, disrespectful or offensive. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> oh, of I, not. I remember being self-conscious about that, leaving like, oh man, I was, um, such a bitch. No, <laughs> doing that. no, 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 But yeah, I think that part of the reason that worked um is that like both things energize me. And so mm-hmm. like one like there's this sort of admin work of producing, which is what I did before I was ever an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, where there's this at least illusion, um, a sense of control. You know, it's like this the information's either in the spreadsheet or it isn't. The mm-hmm. email's either sent, the that box is ever checked, either checked or not. Yeah. And how can you ever check a box on a song being done? It's completely subjective. And so Agreed. I think I need doses of that objective, sort of administrative world to fuel this like giant gray area world of songwriting. Like, I'll, in the middle of my day, if I'm feeling like I'm losing steam, something that's really energizing for me is like reorganizing a drawer. <laughs> because I'm in control,
0: yeah, I always think about that this Henry Miller quote that I love where he's like, when I can't write, I work. Mm. I feel that a lot which is when I can't do like the hardest thing for me, which is like to write lyrics or something. I'm like I can clear my inbox out mm-hmm. and it feels great
1: you and know it feels great and then for me, there's the risk of um completion bias, which Mm -hmm. I have. I'm like Mm self-diagnosed. Actually, I did take a quiz. (laughs) I'm officially diagnosed with having completion bias. Explain
0: what that is. Meaning that
1: that you value the sensation, the dopamine hit of having completed a task Mm. such that you will prioritize tasks that you know you can complete quickly in order to get that hit Mm. and perpetually put off like the big things. So like I, I have like a mountain of a list of tiny little things that I've done over the past four years, but have I actually written that play that I want to, that I'm going to regret on my deathbed if I haven't written it? (laughs) No.
0: Yeah, I get that.
1: I've done all this other stuff that like doesn't really speak to my soul. It just gave me the like cocaine bump of like done. Checked it off.
0: Yeah. Fuck. Fuck. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I guess I have that too, like in spades.
1: I think most people do, probably, because mm-hmm. there is a legitimate adrenaline, like it's a chemical thing that's happening in your body when you're able to cross something off.
0: Yeah, well, but the other, th- but to your other point, a song is never done, so you really have to determine when it's done. And I think when you're working on music, uh, I a couple of years ago I just like made this pact with myself that I'm really gonna like invest in the word record. Like, what I'm making is a record of time. Oh, I like that. Record of a moment, record of these people together, and be less, uh, I guess, really given to my completion bias, <laughs> as opposed to ch- trying to obsess over one thing. Like, I'd rather do ten, 10 things than just have obsessed over this one song.
1: I think it's brilliant, and it really helps. Um, it took me several years of being in music to understand the distinction between a song mm-hmm. and a record. Yes and that there is the song that you're creating which is this body of intellectual property that can be amorphous and sh- shape shifting for the rest of time mm-hmm. until humans can't live on the planet anymore yeah. <laughs> so for like 15 <laughs> no, more I was years saying, I was and it's a 90 years <laughs> tops <toughs>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the record which yeah it is a recording like yeah. it's like the word has been used so much it's been um, removed from its original meaning but when it first came into existence it was the first time they were recording songs mm-hmm. and so it was of course completely distinct from a capital S song. Yeah. It's a recording of a song. We're able to record things now. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that story that when Sidney Bechet heard himself recorded for the first time, his like early, uh, cornet player. He was just horrified that that's what, mm-hmm. not he sounded like, but what a recording of his band sounded oh, like. Oh, And oh. was like, I don't want to do this. Mm. And Louis Armstrong was in his band and he heard it. And Louis Armstrong was like, this is the future like, this is it, you know, like, who cares if it's, we're flat or sharp? Like, let's just do it a million times. And then, you know, he went on to be a little wow. armstrong That was pretty cool.
1: Good anecdote.
0: Um, I really think we have everything. This is awesome. Great. Uh, Thanks for
1: having me. I do feel like I left something hanging with my weird sound effect earlier when you mentioned the cheer up charlie song i was like wah wah or <laughs> cheer up charlie show and i was like wah 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 because i did a cupcake fight there and so i just worry if i hit any of your friends that were at that show with oh icing they only had great things to the to say. face <laughs> okay. no, no no they were like oh yeah she did that cupcake well cupcake i'm banned there. from that venue now so i hope it was worth it we're gonna mention it
0: in the interview of in the, in the intro of our episode
1: that I'm banned from...
0: No, just that that happened and it was... Oh, okay. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, I don't care. So, I think it makes me sound like way more of a badass than I am, because I'm such a rule follower. <laughs>
0: I don't want anyone to ever be mad at me, ever. <laughs> the Song Confessional Podcast is produced by myself, Walker Lukens, Aaron Blackerby, Jim Eno, Rylan Kettery, Adam Mason... Mike Lee
1: and brought to you by KUTX.